Welcome to this episode of Pen to Paper Press Podcast. I'm Cindy Coaches. I enjoy talking with best-selling authors, writers, editors, publishers, and creative souls about the process of developing our stories to completing our works of art. Each episode is an opportunity for us to explore mindsets, pearls of wisdom, and the experiences that began our journey as an author from the moment we put pen to paper. Joining me today is Dr. Artika Tyner. She is a passionate educator, author, sought-after speaker, and advocate for justice. Artika's book titles include The Inclusive Leader, Taking the Intentional Action for Justice and Equality, The Leader's Journey, The Lawyer as Leader, and an array of children's books as well. Welcome. Thank you. I'm honored to be here today. You are you are so welcome. I would love to start our conversation by asking, when did you know that you wanted to be an author? I think it's that inspiration that we have from Toni Morrison. If there's a book that we want to read and it hasn't been written, it's our responsibility to start writing. And in that piece of using that inspiration from Toni Morrison, it's a sense of my first book, The Lawyer is Leader, was really about what I wanted to see. As a law professor, I wanted the practical tools to be able to train and inspire our students to become those social engineers that create new inroads to justice and freedom. And I knew it would require leadership, the ability to think critically, the ability to bring people together and build collaboration, all those key leadership skills of how to problem solve. So I knew that a book like that didn't quite exist yet. And if I wanted to inspire students for generations to come long after I'm gone, the power of writing a book is a way to make sure that we're documenting our journey, but at the same time, leaving inspiration for the future. Wonderful answer. And we've not met before. And it's really interesting because I, I intuitively write the questions. And that was such an important question for me to ask you this morning that, you know, what got you going with that? And so, um, yeah, if we don't, if we don't see it, we need to write it. And it comes from our heart and it comes with the intention to share, whether it's share a story, share insights or education or to inspire somebody else to, well, take action. <laughs> so is there somebody else that inspired you to pick up that pen and start writing? Of course, my mother. My mother is really my biggest cheerleader, encouraging me to write, explore. One of the greatest gifts that she gave me was my library card. So as a young girl, that's where I spent all my time reading books, exploring. So I would say my mother gives that boost of encouragement to say you you can do it no matter what. No, she never said you're too young to accomplish something. You're in it. You don't have the experience. So you're inexperienced. You can't do this. She continued to encourage a journey of learning and growth that has inspired me throughout my entire lifetime. That's beautiful. I, oh, that just warms my heart <laughs> to hear that. Because we, you know, some parents um, do encourage and some kind of do the, uh, maybe you should be a lawyer, maybe you should be a doctor, you know, to, but I love that your, your mother was the inspiration. And and sounds like she was quite the influence on on how you move through life, you know, on your journey. Yes, of course, because my mother was also an educator for many years. She also ran a home daycare center and invested a lot of time and energy into and a labor of love of early childhood education. So when I think about my work and naturally evolved into another area writing children's books. Because once again, I didn't see myself growing up on the pages of children's books. If we base it upon the data, you're more likely to see on the cover of a children's book, a black bear or a black dog than a black girl or a black boy. 
So we know that it's important to have representation in all books and especially for children to create that joy and interest in reading. So for children of color, creating those mirrors so they can see a positive representation of themselves on the pages of books, but for all children to provide those windows so they can learn about cultural experiences of others and build those cultural bridges in some real time through the experience of learning about their neighbor, learning about the world, learning about cultures. So it's an invitation for all children to broaden their horizons. Yes, yes. So how many children's books have you written? Uh, we're getting there. We're marching before the end of this year. Definitely, we're, we'll get closer to the dozen mark. So really? we're at about uh, nine now. So we're growing the numbers of a few more that are in production. So I'm excited that the collection has, has grown. And we've been able to. We also created a nonprofit foundation to get children's books in the hands of children in need. So I am happy to say this past weekend, we just celebrated our fifth year anniversary of our youth leadership program, but we've donated over 7,000 books to children in need. Wonderful. Oh, that's, that is so wonderful. And I will make sure that I have a link to your nonprofit in the show notes so that that is easily accessible because that is so important to share. Um, and, and share that love of reading because a lot of the children who love to read love to write as well. And it helps empower their voice and, and lets them know that, hey, I could do this too. <laughs> Agreed. So what are some of the themes of your children's books, if you don't mind me asking? Of course, the overall theme for all of them is related to the sense of youth finding their voice and leading change. So for instance, in our award-winning book, Justice Makes a Difference, the story of Miss Freedom Fighter Esquire, there's a challenge. I'll talk about two of them. Okay. Initially, she, she feels like she's too young to make a difference. What can she do at eight years old? And her grandmother teaches her an important lesson that she's never too young to make a difference. Just start where you are, big or small. She ends up creating a community garden, learning how to sing for justice and bringing people together around these themes of community building. But the second lesson that she also learns, she's told at school that because she's a girl, she can't become president. And so she learns by the inspiration of other heroes and sheroes, she learns about Shirley Chisholm, who in 1972 was unbought and unbossed and decided to run for this nation's highest office as an African-American female. So she learns that all those things that look impossible are things that she can accomplish with hard work, tenacity, and perseverance. So really our books are about inspiring that leader within. How can we encourage young people to tap into their strengths? How can we encourage them that the world, if we want to change it, it starts with you and I in some tangible ways. So those are the pieces that we work on because then it supports the work of our foundation as we go out into schools and host our virtual workshops on youth leadership development. Powerful. I love it. And I love that you're, you're bringing in that history of, hey, somebody else has, has inspired to do it, set out to do it. And if you try, and if it's your goal, you could you could be that one that accomplishes that goal first or you know that's wonderful and and awe-inspiring <laughs> so um and i and again i i am grateful to to learn about your um the uh, nonprofit, excuse me, I lost the word for some reason. I'm glad that you're doing that. I haven't had my morning coffee yet either, so we're making our way along. This is my <laughs> first, no, second mug. This is oh, okay. Your words have power. That's beautiful. Your words have power. Your sure story have. matters. I made these mugs. Uh, it goes with at the end of each of my podcasts. I always close it with your story has, uh, your words have power, your story matters. And it's actually a phrase that I started sharing. Um, I used to have a digital magazine. And when I would speak with the writers, a handful of them wanted specific, like, this is what the theme is, you know, and so forth. Well, I again, work off intuition. And anytime I set a theme for the magazine, that's not what ran. 
and it was so funny because I would just tell him right from the heart, whatever, whatever you feel inspired to write, it's the right thing to write. And so I started reinforcing with them that your story matters. Your words have power. Just share what, what is coming from here, what's coming from your heart. And, um, one thing led to another, life things happened, and I ended the magazine, but that was still such a powerful phrase that, that I continued through, and uh, yeah, I've got my, I don't know if you can see, I've got doodles on here as well, so I thought, you know what? to go right along with the podcast. I'm going to make some mugs to go because I always say pour yourself a mug of something and <laughs> your favorite beverage and enjoy listening to the pen to paper beautiful. press podcast. So, <laughs> Oh no, those are beautiful. And that's a powerful message. Thank you. Thank yeah. you for sharing. Yeah, you're welcome. I most certainly was not a, expecting to put an advertisement inside my podcast. Oh, no. It's essential. No, that's, <laughs> well, yes, you're right. It is. It is. So, um, one question that um, I do have for you is, is, how do you create and leverage partnerships to sell and promote your books? Because that is so important for us to, to grasp. Well, my books connect directly to my own personal passion and vision. So I'm always looking for folks who are thinking about how they can lead change in their community. I'm looking for those difference makers all over the world to see how they're, you know, building community gardens and dealing with, you know, a food crisis. How are they inspiring education, dealing with uh, creating more accessible ways around literacy and reading. So I'm looking for like-minded people who are organically bringing forth change. So for me, it's the power of relationships. And I would say social media has really been a remarkable tool. Social media will allow you to connect with anyone around the world in some tangible ways. And so for me, the power of partnership is the power of relationship. Most of the books and programming that we've done has all been related to a conversation like what we're having today or a connection on a common theme about writing around leadership or on social justice, civil rights. So for me, that's really been the opportunity to turn the books into not just pages bound together, but a learning experience, a shared humanity and a common destiny is really the theme of what I'm trying to bring forth through the books. The books are just a vehicle for that. I mean, for many of the books, people have reached out to me directly. Those have led into programming partnerships, to conferences, to just general coffee or tea to brainstorm ideas. So the books are basically the invitation to start a conversation. Oh my gosh. Brilliant. <laughs> and yes. community, you're one of the words that keeps coming up is community. How important is community to you? I mean, obviously it's very important, but I'd love your 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 take on it. For me, it's essential. It's who I am. I came from a community called Rondo. Five generations of my family have lived, worked, played on this sacred ground. So when I think about community, it helped to guide my career and the work that I do today. I didn't become a civil rights attorney just by happenstance. It was really by divine destiny. Because the reality of it is growing up in Rondo, you oftentimes know that there's a challenge. It's a persistent and a day-to-day -day challenge because Rondo, like over a thousand communities across the United States, experience what? Racial removal with the highway, freeway, interstate systems. So okay. in the early 1960s, a freeway went right through the heart of our community, I-94. Now people use I-94 every day to make it around the Twin Cities here in Minnesota. But what it meant then that the African-Americans who owned their home businesses, over 400 businesses at its peak, were displaced and lost their homes under the constitutional provision of eminent domain. And unfortunately, of course, that meant that they didn't get the fair market value of their homes. They weren't able to revitalize this economic engine. And in many ways, we're working to do that today. But the reason why I bring up that example, because community then became purpose, became legacy, and became destiny for me. So community, yes, I talked about in a sense of, of a geographic space where I was born and raised and still live today. 
But the reality of it is I've had the opportunity to travel to the other communities that were impacted as well. For instance, in Tulsa, Oklahoma, we had the 100 year or the centennial of the race massacre. What's through the heart of Tulsa? The same thing. Through the heart of the Greenwood District, a highway went right through the middle. Someone brought the highway right through. Um, If we look at, I do a lot of work in supporting uh, the Gullah Geechee Nation and went went through the heart of their communities in Florida and throughout the South, the highway system. And so when we think about how that impacted African-American communities, it's a piece of the connection to draw us together on how do we restore our local economies? How do we bring people together? But at the same time, to build a type of community where we have the level of resistance to say, this can't continue to happen, that we have to take a stand. And that means that we also expand our community. So like the conversation that I'm having, I'm introducing our history to you. And it now it has become our collective history because you'll have a new appreciation. Every time you're driving on a highway, more likely than not, you know that it went through an African-American community. And in many ways, politically and through public policy, it was determined that it would be the least case of resistance, that it really didn't matter. But how important is it to have home, space, and community? So now it's our collective responsibility to protect it. Understood. I was not aware of that. I live in rural Michigan. And here, you know, our our main highway is is two-lane and always has been. <laughs> you know, so I, yes, I do travel. Obviously, you can tell I'm in a, in a camper, and I do travel, and I am on those interstates and, and so forth, and I had no, no understanding of that. I had no, well, I guess I, how would I know? Why would I know? Um, unless I was to, uh, know the history of those areas. So thank you for sharing that insight. That is important. You're right. It You don't know it until you know it. <laughs> so I do appreciate that. So let's focus on the children's books because that just intrigues me. Um, it's not something that I've, I've done yet. And I'm so I'm more out of curiosity for my own self and the audience as well, but (laughs) for you doing the children's book, what was the part that you just truly enjoyed the most? I truly enjoyed the opportunity to tell the stories. Similar to the story that I just told you about Rondo, I brought that into a children's book. It's Joey and Grandpa Johnson's Day in Rondo. Because that way, young people could be introduced, not just to what happened with the highway system, but the importance of that word that the theme of the book is related to, entrepreneurship. That the reality of it was that when we think about Rondo and still Rondo today and legacy history and culture and planting those seeds for the future, it's about the power of small business. It's about the power of Ujamaa and Swahili, then that means cooperative economics. How do we bring people together in some tangible ways to build strong communities? So the children's books, once again, gave me a vehicle to connect hearts and minds to the contemporary issues impacting communities and children today. So the greatest gift of the children's book was introducing new concepts, new ideas on how to engage in community building. So here's a fun one. Last year, I did this book called Stand Up and Be Counted. I just woke up one morning and saw something on Facebook about a writing competition. And I thought, why not join in? It was through an organization (laughs) called Room to Read. So I didn't know if I'd get selected or not, but it was just fun to think about a concept that had been in my mind, but hadn't really put pen to paper. So I took the time to write the entire book. That wasn't the requirement. You had to come up with a concept, but the book was the, the beauty of children's books, the beauty of writing books as a whole, sometimes a book just speaks to you. Right. So stand up and be counted. I could hear the young girl's voice. I could hear Nia's voice. And Nia was curious about how this U.S. census works. Why was I interested in the U.S. census? Because in my community, we tended to be undercounted. So the numbers were not accurate on who we were as far as our actual numbers. And what does that impact? It impacts our political representation. It impacts everything from uh, the amount of resources that go to our local fire department, to our local schools. So I knew that through the voice of a child, we could do two things very powerfully. 
one, children inspire their parents often. So mm-hmm. you could hear in real time in 2020, have children ask their parents about the U.S. Census. But here's the piece of looking ahead to the future, which is the nature of my work, looking mm-hmm. ahead to build those bridges for the future. It also meant that that 10-year-old child that I'm talking to today, 10 years out, 2030, the next time there's a U.S. census, it's an opportunity for them to get involved as well. So for the books, it's an opportunity to share information, ignite passion, while helping to train the next generation of leaders. Yes, yes. So now on the flip side, what was one of the least favorite or the more more challenging part of (laughs) publishing the children's books? Well, as you can imagine, as Dr. Tyner, I'm used to writing dissertations, evaluating data, writing long (laughs) reports, talking for hours on end. I can lecture by myself. I think my record is probably like four hours without a break, just by myself. So the reality (laughs) of it is (laughs) I'm used to sharing information a certain way, highly technical to reach an audience in an academic setting. A children's book forces you not only to reach everyone, but make sure that you're saying it in a way that's tangible and accessible to everyone as well. That's a different type of challenge. I hadn't tapped into using that type of voice. I can remember my first children's book was Justice Makes a Difference. And I remember I started giving the manuscript to my friends who were teachers in K through 12, encouraging folks to give me feedback. And no one gave me feedback until my mother gave me feedback. She said, look, you're not writing to children right now. It's like, what? This is a children's book. And as a lifelong educator, she reminded me that the most important piece of a children's book is that the children can hear it in their own voice. So I had to tap into what would an eight-year-old girl say? Not what would a college professor say, because that's my own voice. What would an eight-year-old girl want to experience? What are her feelings? What are her challenges? So I would say the greatest difficulty and learning curve for me was for a children's book, you have to remember your first audience is a child. So how would the child process the information, which was very difficult for me in many ways, because like I said, I spend the vast majority of my time writing technical reports, lecturing before crowds of thousands of people, when in fact, what I needed to do was to tap into a little girl's fears, her joys, what inspired her. So it caused me to step back, use more descriptors of our senses, Mm -hmm. get more experiences. What is she hearing? What is she feeling? All those pieces, what does she see? And seeing it through eyes of a child. Yes. And that was, uh, that is one of those challenges uh, that a, a children's writer or a children's book Uh, has to really consider is a child going to you know whatever age category whether it's geared towards uh you know reading to a three-year-old or an eight-year-old picking up you have to make sure that it's for them with their point of view and yes I'm sure it was quite the interesting like Wow. <laughs> but I'm grateful your mother did stand up and say, whoa, wait a minute. This isn't, uh, this isn't accurate. And that took courage for her because, you know, we never want to tell our children, um, yeah, this isn't, <laughs> this isn't what it could be. <laughs> but she did it and she helped you and guided you and and when we hand our books to somebody, please critique, please tell me, you know, what do you think of this book? And when we don't hear back from them, that part is like, ooh, okay. That always, you know, reins me back in like, okay, what do I need to adjust? What do I need to make different? What What's wrong with it? <laughs> or do they just not have time to read it, you know? Yes, that feedback is critical. So I also encourage all writers to have your writing circle, your writing group, those beta readers, because it will only help to strengthen your manuscript, strengthen your book for in the future, 
because the reality of it is, is oftentimes deemed as, you know, a solo journey, but that writing process is about once again, the community and the collective coming together because your book is not just about you. Of course, right. your name is listed there as the writer, but it's about once again, being able to bring people together, finding the joy of reading, connecting related to similar issues that we're all passionate about. So that's going to take some group input. Right. Because you're, you're right. It's, it's a community. Um, you're bringing it, presenting it to a community versus, you know, you're, you're not just giving it to like a niece, a nephew, a daughter, a son, you know, it's, it's not an individual, it's not a book for an individual. It's for a community to help strengthen and bring that diversity and, and make them curious and, and want to explore and discover you know, the, the focal points of your book. So, and when it comes to writing your, uh, your three books that are geared towards adults, <laughs> yeah. did, you know, did you, did you encounter the same thing with like the beta readers or did you have, uh, those that came back and said, Oh, you know, Artika, you might want to adjust this or, oh, this was brilliant. You know, did you, did you have the same kind of impact with those beta readers? I did. Once again, they had played a powerful role. So I reached out to everyone that I could find that had written on leadership for lawyers. In fact, I even asked all of them to write an endorsement for the book or testimonial mm -hmm. because I knew that the book would only be as strong as the community surrounding it. So for me, it was very important to hear other folks, you know, views, their feedback, how I could enhance the materials because I knew I wanted to radically transform legal education to ensure that our young aspiring attorneys have the resources and tools to understand their role in leading social change in tangible ways in real time. I knew I couldn't do that alone, just at my own law school, that it was something that had to be a national and international movement. So I needed both the feedback, the buy-in and commitment that we all would work on these issues as a collective. Yes, yes. And so with, because this is something that many writers encounter. And so just to, to hear it again from somebody else who's been there, done that um, and experienced it, when you set out those, you know, requests for, can you write me a testimonial? Can you write me an endorsement for my book? Out of the people uh, that responded back, was it like 50%? Was it 20%? Was it 100%? How, you know, just kind of give us an idea how many people <laughs> responded to your request. I would say... Roughly 80 to 90% responded, which I was pleasantly surprised. I thought that I'd probably get 10 to 20% of response, and it was clearly the opposite. Why do I say that again? Because I want to encourage some folks to think about the power of community. Yeah. That way, when you receive those requests for the testimonials and for the support and the beta reads, you understand the significance of it because someone else will provide that support for you. So it's that circle of reciprocity. So it was beautiful. In many ways, it was unexpected. For instance, I reached out for the lawyer as leader to my Shiro. And I thought, if I get a response, it doesn't even matter. At least I reached out. So Marion <laughs> Wright Edelman, the founder of the Children's Defense Fund, pioneering civil rights attorney who helped to lead many efforts around early childhood education, and ensuring that all children had a fresh start, a bright start for the future. So, you know, who you goals, who you want to be when you grow up, right? Right. And so to have her just, even if she said no to get a response would have been amazing. <laughs> but she said yes. And I, I still was in disbelief. I think I looked at the email and looked at it, looked at it again. But <laughs> she said it. yes. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, so I, I still read it periodically just for even inspiration. 
for the words that she put together and bringing the vision of what would be the future of lawyering. That lawyers can, there's a line in the forward that says, lawyers can chart the course of the future. So really looking at this idea of lawyers and leadership, it meant that I needed to build a community around the concept, not just for the book, but for the power of revitalizing, transforming legal education and lawyering as a whole. So I'm just saying this is a word of encouragement for everyone that's listening in. Give that invitation. I mean, in your mind, you probably think that people will say no. Mm -hmm. I can tell you in most instances, if someone says no, it's not necessarily about the quality of your work or what you're working on. It's also that they're going through the same process and writing their books and doing their work as well. It's usually a capacity issue. But I would say those folks that you want to reach out to, that you want to build a partnership with, contact them. Yes, um, I I agree. And I love the fact that you had such a great response. I just, that warms my heart to hear that because that is truly, again, showing that you have a powerful message to share and you have a community who's behind you saying yeah i'm with you let's go let's go come on let's go <laughs> take me where you want us to go <laughs> and you know what is there any better you know pat on the back that you could receive so i truly enjoyed that so is there anything that you wanted to share about your writing journey that you feel would help someone give them that, you know, that bit of encouragement to, to, you know, Hey, keep writing, keep going. That really would be my message. The thing that you just said, keep writing and keep going. In fact, right now I have posted notes. I have napkins with, different lines for different books that will emerge over time. Keep writing, keep investing in your craft as well. So one of the things that I hadn't talked about yet, I attend writing workshops and I attend those opportunities to get those direct critiques to help enhance my work. The same way as, a, as an attorney, I do continuing education. Why would I not invest time and resources in helping to improve my writing skills? Like right now I'm working on I want to do more of the young adult side. So I would need more opportunities to develop the plot in a different way than I would for a picture book. I need an opportunity to think about how would I take a story and bring it into a chapter book, for instance, as a part of a series, all those things. That means I need to learn some new skills. Join the professional associations related to your work as well and related to your genre. I'm a member of the Midland Authors Association course, I'm a member of the Society for Book Writers and Illustrators. Locally, I'm a member of the Minnesota Black Publishers Association, so I can learn more about what's emerging, what are some of the trends in publishing, because I also run and operate both a publishing house and bookstore. So that means that I'm also involved in all the related professional associations. So I'm a part of IBPA the International Book Publishing Association. So I'm a part of MEPA, the Midwest Independent Publishing Association. I could just name a list because I have to make sure that I'm informed and engaged on the trends related to the work as well. Yes. So I'm being a bookseller and owning a bookstore, it means that I'm also a member of the American Booksellers Association. So thinking about those ways to stay connected to the work, even if you're magazine subscriptions, are you subscribed to poets and writers, to the writer, all those different pieces. And if you're not subscribed, go check them out at your local library to see. <laughs> I mean, in those magazines, you get writing prompts. So you're thinking mm -hmm. about how would I write that suspense piece? How would I, you know, write that drama, that action-packed thriller? It just helps you. Those are not my genres but it helps to unleash the creativity in real time. Attend mm -hmm. those writers' workshops. One of my favorite writing and learning experiences was related to the Highlights Foundation. And I don't know if you remember that, but the Highlights Magazine, mm -hmm. uh, their family actually still owns and operates their press. And so they, on their family land, 
also have an area for workshops and retreats. And so one day, yes, I woke up. I'm just like, just because it's named Highlights, I have to go because I love reading the the Highlights (laughs) magazines when I was in school. But beyond that, I'm like, this looks like a beautiful area in Pennsylvania. And I needed some time to write. I needed some time to write while simultaneously developing my skills. So I attended a writer's workshop. So I invested myself annually. I at least go to one or two writer's workshops to work on my skills, to help build my craft and to help. When I think about that Highlights Foundation workshop, it was fabulous. That network was not just now other professional writers and illustrators. Those are my brothers and sisters. I reached out and I say, well, what do you think about this idea? Can we work on this project together? So building and investing in that sense of community wherever you go is also within the writing community within itself. Yes. And you create those lifelong bonds and, and again, that support system, you know, and that is truly one thing that I have gained through this podcast is, you know, I have relationships with the individuals that I would not have otherwise, you know, made contact with. I would never have met these individuals. And, you know, it's great to have these friendships. And I know that with the majority of the people that have been on the podcast, if I was to reach out to them and say, hey, I'm doing X, Y, Z, you in? They'd be like, oh, yeah, I'm here. (laughs) Let's do. (laughs) So, but that is, you know, and you have that encouragement and, and that support and, and what does that do that just keeps refueling that fire and that passion to keep exploring and to keep doing and, and that, oh gosh, I would love to go out there to the island because yes, I remember those books. I might even have a copy or two. Yes, (laughs) it's, it's beautiful. It's got the right balance of being tranquil. Yes. Having the peace, that aura of joy when you're thinking about highlights within itself. And so I, I highly recommend it. I will have to check that out. I I really will. So you brought something up that I didn't realize. You have a bookstore. So is it is it a physical bookstore or is it a digital bookstore? It's both. Really? Tell me about your bookstore. (laughs) So the physical bookstore, I'll start there because you'll love this one. Okay. It's based upon partnerships. I got a call from someone who had received the Justice Makes a Difference book as a gift for their family. Said, how can we do more? I'm creating this new community hub. Can we create a partnership and think about creating a bookstore? What exactly can we do together? Oh, it was music to my ears. Because simultaneously, as this is all happening, I'm working with my business mentor to think about what would the physical space for the bookstore, what would it look like? And my mentor kept saying, well, I don't think you should focus so much on the physical space. Focus on your book collection on the production side and then help to find some of the retail partners That way, you're not just solely worried about a business and a building and all that comes with it. Mm -hmm. Maybe down the line, you can do that, but just simply you have the capacity to run all these different aspects of your business venture. And at first I was like, of course I do. Now in hindsight, my business mentor was 100% right. So kudos to Mr. Leon. But here it is. (laughs) (laughs) That power of community partnership. Fast forward to today. We have 17 retail partners across the nation that sell our books. In addition, our physical space is here also in the Twin Cities in Minneapolis in partnership with a community hub called Gideon CC, where the space is both a barbershop, has retail spaces to help encourage um, buying local, but more importantly, to create that community and that nucleus of small businesses that support each other in some tangible ways. So yes, you can come to our physical bookstore. Yes, if you're across the nation, across the world, you can engage in our online bookstore. So we just wanted to make sure that our books were accessible in multiple different venues in real time to inspire and encourage reading and also to promote diversity in books. Brilliant. Oh my gosh. 
I, you know, you just amazed me. <laughs> I love how all of this divine stuff just kind of like, you, you, you get all these things that just get placed right in front of you. How, how wonderful. And I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure you've had some, you know, challenges in your life. It's not all, you know, popping up like daisies and, and all, you know, you know, uh, giggles and sunshine. I, but still, how wonderful that you've had all of these things just, oh, you, you inspire me because I'm sitting here writing notes like, yeah, maybe I should be doing some writing workshops, attending and creating myself. And and you brought up a uh, a, a dream of mine that I, I used to have a long time ago about building a community in a special way. I don't want to elaborate. And it was like, you know, that is doable. I Yeah, maybe I do need to re... So thank you for inspiring me to do this. <laughs> Or to think about it again. <laughs> yes. No, I, I give you that same message that I give in the Justice Makes a Difference book of that idea of what we can do and the power of relationship. We just started a relationship today, yes. a friendship, a gift of sisterhood, of sharing information, knowledge, and resources. Yes. And I can't even imagine. We don't even know yet what it will lead to. It's just a starting point. Yes. And so maybe that next great book project emerges when you're in Pennsylvania and you're <laughs> at the Highlights Foundation. Because for me, it was really the inspiration to say, before I went to Highlights Foundation, I had only written the one children's book. By the time I left, I had a vision of the rest of the children's books that I've created today. Wow. So those pieces of having that connection, having that sense of community, sharing information, resource, and knowledge, so yes, not all my days are filled with daisies, but most of them are because the reality of it is I find joy in helping other people. I find joy in building community together and I feel, find joy in building the type of connections that build a legacy for the future. And that's where we all have to start. I mean, oftentimes we think that the only resource that we have is money. It's important. Please don't get me wrong, but the reality of it is the greatest asset and resource that we have is each other because yes. that way we can build, create, motivate, inspire, uplift, walk together through life's ups and downs together. So when I think about that, books have been an important way to inspire and share that message, but the community around that process has been equally remarkable before the book even comes to life. Yes. The community that we help to create in the process is indispensable to our success and not just as an author or writer but as our success as a part of humanity yeah oh <laughs> yes we have definitely we have definitely formed a friendship here because <laughs> i'm right there with you <laughs> i get it i understand it and it it is amazing how communities are overlooked in in many ways because of the fact that we do have a lot of me myself and I society type mentality in in some aspects but when it really comes down to it when you find out your neighbor needs help what do you do do you go help or do you hang back going ah somebody else will take care of it you know what is your gut reaction what is your what is your knee-jerk reaction what do you go do and nine times out of ten the majority of the people are going to go and all right here let me help you what do you need let's you know i brought i brought an apple pie i you know here's uh here's a shovel let me help you dig whatever it is you know uh anything whatever the issue is so yeah you know we've it community is a word that i that keeps getting brought up in the podcast and it is something that we're continuously building without realizing we're building it or a part of and maybe that's part of it is people have forgotten that we're actually a part of a community and that if we need help and <laughs> this is coming from someone who has a very very difficult time asking for help but 
maybe we need to not be so hard on ourselves and, and ask for that help. So, because it's, it's essential. Yeah. It's essential. I mean, as a, as a writer, if I didn't ask for help, sometimes I can feel it. It's time to write the book. That might mean that somebody else has to help me with dinner for the family. Somebody else might have to help me, you know, sometimes when I'm doing the writer's workshops, conferences, retreats, a part of it, someone else has to maintain my home when I'm gone. All those different pieces. So when you think, whether it's a book or just any individual, we're a part of that collective or community. Yes. And when we think about that, we have to think very uh, creatively. We mm -hmm. have to think about our connection around that shared humanity and bring it all together. So the books are a reflection of, hundreds of people each book all coming together to either support me bring a meal yeah, yeah. <laughs> when i'm not able to do those things uh offer ideas and because for instance i'll tell you a fun story about justice makes a difference conceptually i was thinking about a superhero but i was like it's not a graphic novel i'm not sure if it fits and then one of my former students had quite the surprise I was in Washington, D.C. for a lecture, and she's like, Dr. Tyner, hurry up and get dressed. Hurry up and get dressed. We have an appointment. I'm like, an appointment? What appointment do I have in D.C.? Sure, <laughs> but I'll hurry up and get dressed. And then I kind of got a hunch of what the appointment was as we got closer to the Capitol buildings. And I was like, okay, we're going to do something. Maybe it's legislative advocacy around education. We're doing something today. So I was getting excited. But I didn't know the something was meeting Congressman John Lewis. The oh. last of the big six. His office is literally, it was like a museum that captured civil rights history and where we need to go today. The power of community, of unity, and bringing people together. All of that is the epitome of Congressman John Lewis. And I'll never forget that day because everyone knows I'm a talker. I'm never lost for words. He said, <laughs> um, dear, how are you? Like five times before I could even get a word. Oh, wow. <laughs> Because I'm like, this is living, breathing, history, the past, the present, the future, the legacy, all in one person. So I just, I was lost for a word. <laughs> and then by the time I, I did find my voice all over again and I could speak and no longer, I was still in awe, but no longer lost for words. I, I asked him about what would he want a message to be for children? What would it look like? And one of the gifts oh, yes. that I got in his office was a graphic novel because one of Dr. King's first books was not everyone thinks it was one of his biographies or one of the collection of his essays. It was a graphic novel hmm. because it was inspiring young people through a comic book format on how they could lead change. And it was a confirmation for me because I was thinking of justice as a young superhero and the pieces that Congressman John Lewis gave me a one inspiring young people to lead in some tangible ways that they didn't have to wait, start where they are, what are some of the ways to provide them with those skills and tools that help to inform how I wrote the last pages of the book. And this idea, once I received that gift from mm -hmm. him about Dr. King being in this comic book, that was my reassurance that this theme of being a superhero for justice had a long legacy within not just civil rights history, but it sent me on this whole research journey. I always love Wonder Woman. So it sent me on this whole research journey of what was the origins of the Justice League? Why did it matter to be a superhero? And it challenged me to go talk to more young people to see what it meant to be a superhero. So I had a beta group at a daycare center with three and four year olds because I wanted to know at what age did people start with this journey of understanding what it meant to be a superhero and then I also was curious, since this book was for children, at what mm -hmm. age do we stop imagining that we could be that superhero and be impactful? So I did a beta group with adults as well. But the young people, those three and four-year-olds, I thought they will have no idea what the word superhero even means. Immediately when I said, what does it mean to be a superhero? All the hands were up. So, really? Okay. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Love it. <laughs> and I mean, the answers were profound. They save people. They help people. And then I said, okay, let's go a step further. If you were a superhero, what would your superhero power be? Oh, to go through time, to go through space. And when I realized it, that we have created a universal theme around being a superhero, really being a part of those same elements we've been talking about, a community. How do mm -hmm. we help one another? How do we help to build a better world? 
if those three-year-olds could understand that, what do we need to understand as adults? And where have we lost our inner superhero? So it yes. led to a whole beyond conversation, but really a movement building upon the momentum of Congressman John Lewis's series of March, thinking about those ideas of how could you use the concept and ideas around a graphic novel, this idea of the power of being a superhero for justice. How do we bring that all together? So mm -hmm. the concept even of justice makes a difference came out of community from those three-year-olds to meeting and working with Andrew Aiden and meeting Congressman John Lewis. Those pieces all came together. Wow. Wow. And then when you're working on the next series that you're working on, you can ask those young adults, do you still have your superhero? Who is, who are you as your own superhero? And, you know, that is a brilliant question to ask adults because, yeah, life gets in the way and we forget about our own little superhero that's sitting right here going, hey, did you forget about me? <laughs> Agreed. Now, that was really the, the spark to have that conversation. And I really did not believe it was surprising. I didn't believe the three and four year olds would have a clear conceptual idea of what it meant to be a superhero. And I think it's more of a broader concept of what does it mean to be a human being? We say as a superhero, so you put the cape on and I'm getting my Halloween costume ready so I can be, you know, Miss Freedom Fighter Esquire and cross <laughs> between Wonder Woman. So we say it conceptually, but those three-year-olds made me believe it. Yeah. And not just for myself, but for them as well. Uh, what did it mean? Instead of just waiting to say, I might create change, change might happen on the wheels of inevitability. When I, after I left that meeting, with Congressman John Lewis and met those three-year-olds when I was in Washington, D.C., it reminded me that change is about each and every one of us right now. So I'll tell you why we even started the foundation. Mm -hmm. As an attorney, many of my clients learned how to read in prison. I knew that that was a miscarriage of justice. When one in four American children are not reading at grade level by fourth grade, they're four mm -hmm. times more likely to drop out of school. And if they drop out of school, they're three and a half times more likely to end up where? In that tangled web of mass incarceration, behind bars, or arrested. But just looking at the national data, 82% of children that look like me are not reading at grade level. Really? If we look at overall, the vast majority of children are not. Because I know we like to talk about race in America and we get very polarized on the topic. But when over 50% of children, no matter the color of their skin, are not reading at grade level. We have an educational crisis. We do. So here it is. How can we as adults be those superheroes, create change, help save the world in some tangible ways? I would argue it starts one book at a time. Oh, I love that. <laughs> and, you know, with the whole issue with COVID last year and schools being out of session or the homeschooling, you know, what a disadvantage. I mean, and I understand, I'm not arguing that kids should have been in school or anything like that. So that's, that's definitely not what I'm saying, but they had such a disadvantage because they lost that that time in front of a teacher and with their peers and, and stuff like that. And it does break my heart that, that they had to go through it. And I mean, hopefully what it does is it strengthens them. That is my hope that it helps them to determine more of what they want and to go for it. Um, and, and to seek what, you know, again, that superhero mentality. Um, so, in regards to the childhood illiter illiteracy, excuse me, if I can say the word, what do you think is some of the cause behind it? Is it because they're not getting access to the books or because they're not being taught to enjoy books or, you know, I'm, I'm stretching for an answer. I think it's all of the above, but I would say the greatest point of need is ensuring early childhood education. 
is I started my career and wanting to become a high school English teacher. So my first student teaching assignment was in a kindergarten classroom. And can you imagine having children at such a variety of different levels mm-hmm. of reading, basic understanding of phonics and access to books in their home, a tangible experiential learning, hands-on learning experience. There was a great range. The reality of it is, if we're going to make an impact around this literacy crisis in real time, we have to make the investment. We put all the responsibility tends to be on K through 12, on the educational system. It's an important piece of the puzzle. It is, yes. But I can tell you from my own personal experience, from the research and the work that I do, the critical piece would be, yes, to get the support of K through 12 education, but also in acknowledging that a vast portion of brain growth and development are during a few critical years from prenatal to age three. The brain is like a sponge. We could make sure if we invested time and resources and tapped into our sense of community, we can make sure that by the time a child ends up in kindergarten, not just the basic standards of kindergarten readiness, but that they have extensive vocabulary. Yes. That they've had the hands-on learning experiences. And for me, I grew up, my mother didn't have a lot of money. The hands-on learning experiences were happening on the kitchen table. For instance, I learned how to count by helping my mother count her black eyed peas. We didn't have computers. (laughs) We didn't have all the stuff everybody else had. We learned the things in real time. We learned how to count because my mother also um, invested and made sure we had access to piano classes. So Reverend Walker taught me many of the rhythms around counting, adding and subtracting by counting the notes long before I ended up in a kindergarten classroom. So I think a piece of this is for me, where I'm thinking of the greatest return in real time is early childhood education. Yes, agreed. It, it does begin at home or where the child spends the majority of their time. Um, whether, because, uh, you know, when both parents are working, obviously they're at daycare. So it starts at daycare, but it also starts at home as well. Even though I know mom and dad are extremely tired. <laughs> Been there, done that. <laughs> And, you know, the black eyed peas, cutting the black eyed peas. I remember my father-in-law taught my boys how their colors, he, uh, he would take a bag of M&Ms and spill it out onto the table. And he would ask them what the color was. If they guessed wrong, he ate the M&M. And uh-huh. of course, so that really encouraged that. No, you're red, yellow, green, brown. You know? <laughs> I love that one. I might have to borrow that one for my yeah. nieces and nephews. I like it. Yeah, and on the reverse, if they got it correct, they got to eat the M&M. And you know, it got them encouraged. I mean, it truly helped them to learn what, what color red was <laughs> or in yellow. <laughs> so... But uh, anyways, oh my goodness, I just looked at what time it is. <laughs> wow. Um, so so that we don't have a two-hour long podcast. <laughs> I mean, we could do that. I definitely have to break yes. it up. But <laughs> I'm sure you have other things to do and, and so forth. So how would you like to wrap up this podcast? Obviously you need to share what is your website and how do we find your, your books? Um, excuse me. How do we find your bookstore online as well? Well, I just want to thank each and every one of you for tuning in. I want to thank you for your commitment to your writing journey. And your writing journey is an opportunity to touch hearts and minds and help to connect us in new ways, creative ways as a stronger community. Because as we invest in the future, page by page, word by word, we're really planting those seeds of social change. So I encourage you to remain connected to our organization. Our nonprofit foundation's website is ppgjli.org. That's for Planting People, Growing Justice Leadership Institute. If you'd like to learn more about our books and publishing company, please also visit Planting People Growing Justice 
Press and Bookstore. And I'll give you our shortened link. It's bit.ly, so B-I-T period L-Y backslash P-P-G-J books. You can follow us on Facebook and Instagram at P-P-G-J books and also at Planting People Growing Justice. So this is an invitation of building a worldwide community of writers, readers, and change agents. Thank you. Oh, thank you. It, oh, thank I, you. It has been an honor to sit with you, to learn from you, to be inspired by you, and of course, to inspire others with, again, our words and our stories. And they matter. Our stories matter. And our words do have power. And whether the words are directed at self or others, they have power. They they have value behind them. And thank you. I am so grateful to have met you. <laughs> Likewise. Thank you. Thank you for creating this platform for community building around writing. Thank you. I appreciate it. Before we end our time together, I'd like to say thank you for listening to my conversation with Dr. Artika Tyner. To access her websites and purchase the books she has written, please visit pentopaperpress.com backslash podcast and select the show notes page for this episode. To receive future episodes in your inbox, subscribe to the newsletter and follow the podcast on your favorite applications. You are invited to share your favorite episodes with individuals who you feel will resonate with the content. The intention of Pen to Paper Press podcast is to reinforce that our words have power and our stories matter. To share this important message, I created several mug designs for you to choose from with my artwork. These are perfect for enjoying your favorite beverage when listening to this podcast series. You will find an array of products available for purchase at pentopaperpress.com backslash store. Take care and until next time, keep your pen to paper and write. Your words have power. Your story matters. Bye for now.